Welcome to Metal's Horror House. So I've decided to rebrand myself and pretty much all my socials. So if you get confused about the name change, that is why. We used to be Metal's Podcast of Horror or Metal Hay Show. Now we are Metal's Horror House with without the W, of course. Welcome back to the podcast. I am your host, Metal. And today we're going to be taking a look through a new horror movie or film that just dropped this October. VHS 94, a long-awaited reboot of the franchise, but before we get into all that, I do want to let you guys know that we are live on Twitch three times a week. Every Friday, we will be filming our podcast live on Twitch as well, Metal's Horror House. We are also on YouTube and TikTok, where it's horror content 24-7 pretty much. And we have currently opened up a coffee page, KOFI. It's kind of like a Patreon a place you can go and support what we do on all platforms, where you also get early access to new episodes, YouTube videos, behind the scenes, early access to podcasts, and much more. So check it out. Link will be in the description. Now, let's jump into this twisted film. Police search warrant! Police search warrant! Do not touch anything. Could be no one left alive in here. So it was October 6th. I'm sitting there with my girlfriend when I'm browsing through Twitter. And, you know, we're watching TV, kind of like a lazy night. And see all these posts about VHS 94. Reviews were popping up and right away I closed Twitter. Now, I'm not one for spoilers or reading reviews on movies. For me, it ruins the experience and usually gives away the whole plot of the movie. Hell, I don't even watch trailers. So I told my girlfriend, you know what? Stop what you're doing. We gotta watch VHS 94. So we fired up Shudder and we watched the new VHS 94. Now I'm a big fan of VHS, even VHS 3, which to a lot of people was a big letdown. And you know, I could see why, but it was still a fun time for me. I had one of my favorite stories with the magician in it, you know, the evil cape that eats people. It was good. Of course, you know, not as good as the other two movies, but the question is, where does VHS 94 rank compared to the others? Hmm? I'll tell you right now, for me, it's probably tied, yeah, probably tied for my favorite in the franchise with VHS 1. VHS 94 shows you that it still has unique, raw, gore-filled stories to tell you. And let me tell you this, these stories are um, some of the most unique horror shorts in a movie I've seen in a long time. They're twisted, they're bloody, they're downright bizarre. VHS 94 is a reboot of the franchise written by David Bruckner, and um, I really think he took this franchise in a different direction, which is, you know, a fresh take, which is nice. This movie was balls-to-the-wall insane. That's probably the best way I could describe this film. Even its weakest short films in this movie are still entertaining and bring their own disturbing story to the table. Filled with practical effects and grainy footage like it was shot back in the 90s, hence VHS 94, it is disturbing as it is blood-soaked fun. So, let's get into the nitty-gritty of this VHS 94 movie. You know, it's still kind of similar to the other three in that it has a wraparound segment, the main story that is being told through the movie. It follows a SWAT team as they raid a building that seems to uh, be taken over by some sort of cult that really love their VHS tapes. As they enter, they find a disturbing crime scene with bodies littered throughout the building. All slumped over in their chairs. Some of them have their eyes missing, their limbs gone. 
and all around are old tube TVs, and this is where the carnage unfolds on the TVs. This leads us into our first little horror short called Storm Drain. This follows a news reporter team tracking a story about a mysterious rat man that's living in the sewers, that's been seen all around the city, kind of like an urban legend. So they began to track down people who have seen this rat man. What does it look like? What does it want? As they're covering this story, they venture into the sewers to find some homeless people living there. This is where the main girl, the reporter, she starts turning an urban legend into a human interest piece about the poor living in the sewers and how society treats them and how, you know, society pretty much has forgotten about them and how bad we treat the homeless. It's dark, dirty inside the sewer, and she soon realizes she's way in over her head. Her and her cameraman are captured by the people living underneath the streets or in the sewers, and they worship a new god named Rat Ma. Literally, a giant, disgusting rat creature. There's something about how this movie was shot with it feeling like a 90s VHS tape. Every time I watch a scary movie on VHS, it always freaks me out more than watching it in 4K. It has to do with the grainy footage and it being or seeming so old. And to me, it gives it a bit more realism for the practical effects that were being used in this story. Well, in this movie, I should say. So when you meet the rat, <laughs> rat man, rat creature, you do feel disgusted. You know, the design of the creature is pretty cool, pretty disgusting. The whole sequence is pretty gross. I, for one, do not like rats, so this kind of made me cringe a little bit. So these people, these homeless people, they are talking about uh, being chosen by the rat god, Rat Ma. Not Rat Man, but Rat Ma is his name. And so they dump the rat's mouth liquid onto the cameraman. It's like a black sludge and melts his face off, showing you that, well, he's not the chosen one. So next is the girl. She's screaming, and they dump this black goopy tar on her, which is like from the rat, I believe. And she doesn't burn. She does scream, though, because she's being covered in this gross sludge. Like stanky-ass rat mouth jizz or something. It cuts to the news anchor talking about how she got lost in a storm drain and how she survived. And is now on the news telling her story. But before we get to that, we get a small segment of, of an infomercial. Something called a veggie smasher. Not sure what it had to do with the movie. It was like the only ad through the whole movie of a useless object which smashes veggies. Hence the name Veggie Smasher. But the dude selling it reminded me of Vince. You know, the Wow guy. With, with the droopy eye. It was really out of left field, but it was kind of funny. Just a really weird 90s infomercial. So we go back to the news reporter, and she's telling her story. And things start to get a little bit weird. She starts to say Ratma every third word or so. And then she vomits Black Sludge all over her co-anchor. And his face literally melts off. Because cause he wasn't the chosen one. He's screaming... And he starts pulling at his face and the skin and eyeballs start to come out. The use of practical effects here was pretty good. It reminded me of the poltergeist scene where, you know, he's looking in the mirror and he starts to peel his face off and there's nothing left but skeleton. It was really well done. It just melts right off like butter. This <laughs> was a strong opening for the movie, kind of showing you what's to come. But this is by far the least crazy of them all. All hail Ratma. I'll just say that.
We are back with the SWAT team as they make their way through the building, coming to a giant room with a projector and mannequins lying up the benches inside. This shows us that the SWAT team got split up, that maybe someone tipped them off. There, There is some weird tension between one of the SWAT guys and the SWAT girls, but then it shows the body camera that we're looking through slowly pan to a giant TV in the middle of the room, which then we jump into the next uh, horror short called the Empty Wake. This was a really interesting one. This really reminded me of a horror game. Like, very Silent Hill, classic haunted story, haunted ghost story. And it takes place at a wake. So, it's about this, like, new mortician girl who has been tasked with managing the wake on a dark and stormy night where the rain is pissing down and a tornado warning is in full effect. We watch as she starts to hear sounds coming from the casket. Or are they? Causing her, and honestly myself, to feel a little paranoid. When you're watching this one, you can't help but feel paranoid. The director does a really good job at this. The shots are done very beautifully, I have to say, through only three cameras that are stationed for the wake. And we are told that whoever is paying for the wake paid for the cameras to be recorded. And so you start to think, who would pay to have their wake recorded? So, a red flag gets set off there. Anyways, when I'm watching this, I found that kind of weird. It's a dead wake. Literally, no one seems to be showing up. The power goes out a few times, and of course, it builds a nice tension around the main character. You know, she's freaking out, scared of the dark. You know, it's like, what's going to happen next? It keeps you on the edge of your seat. We don't know much about the person in the casket from the start. We know he was in a bad accident, and that... It's a closed casket for a reason, because they even say in the movie that, you know, he had a pretty bad fall, and he's not all put together very well. He tried his best, so the night continues, and more weird shit starts to happen. She thinks he's alive, but then her boss lets her know it's just the gas escaping from the body. That's what's making the sounds in the casket, but I don't think a bloated body can make knocking sounds on the casket. But you know what? We just roll with it. And so does she, because I guess she's not that smart. So this does set her a bit at ease. Then we meet another character, some Russian guy who doesn't say he's family or friend. And uh, he starts speaking some foreign language, then leaves. There is a part, though, near the midway point before he does arrive, where when the power goes off, there's like a lightning strike. And if you look closely to the left... Peering around the corner, I'm pretty sure it's the same guy, or her boss, or someone. I had to pause and look a couple times, but there's definitely somebody there just watching her. It's really fast, and it really sets off your paranoia. It's a, it's, it's a really good scene. So my thoughts are, is he the one that paid for the recording of this funeral? To, you know, add to the VHS collection, the VHS tapes? Or he did something to the body? You know, it's a very quick flash, so you have to pause it to see it. She calls her friend, because I believe she works at the newspaper, and wants to know who this guy in the casket might be. She leaves a voicemail, and her friend gets back to her, and we find out that it's some dude who made the front page, spewing off weird speeches at the top of a building, and eventually he jumped to his death at the church. And once we learn that, the power cuts out and the phone dies. We are left in the dark with our character. More sounds start to come from the casket. She does a smart thing and runs away, but the doors are locked. 
possibly from the guy who visited her before, the weird Russian dude. Now she is scared. It is pissing rain outside. She re-enters into the room to find the casket has been knocked off and is opened up. And the dead guy is standing at the wall to the right. Now, she, you know, she goes up to him like, uh, Mr. Edwards, did you know you were in a bad accident? Like, no shit, he jumped off a roof. Now you're thinking for a second, oh, maybe he's alive. But then he turns around and half of his face is missing. And he's a zombie. So what turned out to be kind of like a ghosty kind of vibe turned into kind of like a zombie flick, which is pretty cool, in my opinion. It's a real nice twist. She runs and hides because, you know, the zombie is blind because he can't see because half his face is missing. No eyes. Though, she does come across the other half of the face and you guessed it, it does see her. She gets attacked and then right on cue, a tornado hits the funeral home where she is. Caving in the windows, glass goes everywhere and everything gets messed up. So we're left with the tornado siren blaring. And our character, our female character, stumbles across the wreckage and out the window. And we can only assume that she is now a zombie. I really like this one. This had like a nice little twist to it. Making you think it's a ghost story or something. You know, maybe there is somebody hiding in the casket, a cult member or something. But it turns out it was just some zombie flick. Like a secluded little zombie story, which was really nice. Now, I can only assume whatever the Russian guy said maybe conjured him back from the dead. You know, my guess. I'm just guessing here. I'm just guessing. But this was a really cool one. It, it really creeped me out. And I think it being filmed kind of in a VHS style, like I said earlier, really gave it that scare factor, the creepiness to it, right? But after this is done, we go back to the SWAT team, who is still trapped inside the buildings. And they are still missing more SWAT people. We see some really creepy imagery. Limbs chopped off. Toy dolls laid out on the floor. And a recorded message that is playing. Going on about the signal is the sedative. The signal is the salvation. We have another character walk up to the TV. And it leads into the next horror short. This one is called The Subject. And it is fucked. And so cool. And also feels like a video game now i have to say the start of this one's a little bit slow it gets really messed up but it's a lot of fun and i have to say this is probably my favorite one out of the whole movie yeah i'll say that one this one is just so unique and out there it has extreme gore i have human flesh fusing with metal and a mad scientist who has been kidnapping and turning people into freakish machine monsters taking their brains heads, body parts, putting them into machines. And you learn this right away. The opening scene is some dude's head on top of like a mechanical spider body. He freaks out and dies. Man, I, I'm just a sucker for evil doctors. And the actor who portrayed this batshit crazy doctor did such a good job. So the first little bit is a bit slow. You know, we see him prepping subjects to be turned into machine-like creatures. There's a guy and a girl, and he's removing uh, the girl's brain. And the guy starts acting up because he wakes up from his um, sedative, I believe. And the doctor plunges another sedative right into his eyeball, putting him to sleep, like, very aggressively. So right away, you know this guy, he's not messing around, and he's, he's a little 
He's a little messed up. He's a little, he's a little out there. So now we cut away to now we are watching things unfold through the girl's eyes. So whatever she sees, the doctor can see on his little monitor, kind of like a camera. You even have the little battery bar at the bottom. If you've ever played Outlast or pretty much any other horror game within the last five years, you, the, the damn battery bar. Oh, you better find more batteries or else your camera won't work or your flashlight won't work. So it's kind of similar like that. The doctor is so happy that the experiment has worked, bringing this girl to life, and is surprised when she remembers her old life. We don't see what she looks like till later. We also see that he is also working on another creation, something with a giant blade. Now, you can only assume that who he's working on was the guy that he sedated at the start. We also learn about the missing people and mutilated body parts being found around the city, as we see on a TV screen and who the doctor actually is, a doctor in mechanical prosthetics. So the girl tries to escape eventually, and the doctor knocks her out with a pan or something, I believe, and we can hear some commotion coming from behind the doctor. And, of course, it's a SWAT team. They have found him, finally. They have found his secret hideout and the experiments he's been doing. We are introduced to the SWAT leader and the others, as well as a cameraman who befriends the girl. We'll get to that in a little bit. The SWAT leader showing, you know, no sympathy for the doctor and just straight up orders him to be shot on sight. Just obliterates the crazy doctor, which I'm kind of sad about because the doctor was a really cool character, really unique. But at the same time, I could definitely see, I could definitely see why the SWAT team would shoot the hell out of him. And this poor cameraman, dude, is just shocked and appalled at what has just happened. They do find the girl. And they are just floored at what she looks like, what this doctor has been doing. They recognize that she is the missing girl from TV. But the SWAT commander thinks that she is a monster, that she has no soul. She is so disfigured that she can't be saved or anything like that. So they try killing her because, you know, she's a monster. The SWAT leader, you'll find out, is, is a real prick, but he plays us so well. So he takes a gun and points it at her head. And then before he can shoot her, the power goes out. Now, we jump to the cameraman, who's filming on the SWAT team. You know, you see her scurry away, but he doesn't tell the captain. So you know that this dude is a good man, and you're kind of rooting for him in this. This is where shit, this is where shit gets real wild. And you're going to see why this is my favorite part of the movie. They find an exit point, but it's booby-trapped, and a huge explosion goes off, killing a few of them, ripping one dude's legs off as he's crawling on the floor, and it traps them inside. So now they must find an exit point. Now, remember, the other person the doctor was working on, we finally see what happened to him. And holy shit, he is a giant robotic monster machine. Think Frankenstein with a lot more mechanical parts and a giant and two giant blades on his hands. It's been such a long time that I've witnessed such a crazy lab monster, especially in a movie. This thing... <laughs> It's terrifying. It's cutting down SWAT members. And oh yes, there's a ton of gore. Limbs flying, bodies being cut in half, heads rolling. It's so gruesome, but man, it just, it's so fun. We see all this through the SWAT cameraman's lens, but eventually we go back to the girl's point of view. You know, she's crouching down. She's trying to scurry away from all this carnage that is happening. You know, she's scared. She runs away and she eventually falls down 
like a hole, I think, into like the doctor's office. And then this is where she finds half of her head missing. And then we finally see what she has become, a mechanical monster. We have a moment here because, you know, she's not a monster. Yeah, she's one of the main characters. And you do feel kind of bad for her. She's chased down by the SWAT members and eventually she finds an attachment for her arm because her arm is cut off and she does find like blueprints to a machine gun or a gun or something like that, which she eventually finds and then she attaches it to her arm, kind of like a power up. And then this is where it turns into like a first person shooter. She starts to escape mowing down SWAT members with her new gun, you know, just blowing their heads off, blowing them away. Blowing their legs off. It reminded me a bit of that movie Hardcore Henry. I think I think that was a movie. You know, it was like first person shooter. Uh, it was a really fun movie. If you haven't seen it, definitely check it out. So she's running through this underground place. She's shooting all these SWAT members. And she comes across the nice cameraman. Where they have a nice exchange between the two. You know, they're trying to escape together. And they both want to live. But that pesky SWAT leader. The prick, he's still alive. I don't know how he survived, but man, he's determined. Feeling like it's his moral right to destroy her, he goes a little crazy, throwing the cameraman aside, tearing out her robotic parts, and smiling and laughing as he's, as he's doing this. But he is soon shot and killed by the cameraman, and he pretty much saves the girl's life. As he's catching his breath and about to say, hey, we should get out of here, he is mowed down by the other big monster with the blades. At this point, I totally forgot about the giant monster. I thought something happened to him for some reason, but it kind of took me by surprise. I'm like, oh, shit, right. That thing is still alive. Oh, boy. That's not good for anybody. You see him get stabbed and his arms cut off, and the girl, she starts to fight this giant monster, right? Hops on his back, tears the metal plate off his head, and takes his whole brain out of the skull. Getting revenge, because... You know, the only person that was trying to help her dies. And then she falls to the floor and it fast forwards to um, another camera underground. And we eventually see her get up and walk away and she escapes. So she's still alive. A robotic monster walking through, I think it looked like an abandoned train station or something. But she's down there somewhere. What I liked about this is that her battery power kept getting lower and lower as she fought more and took more damage. Like a video game. It was, it was pretty unique. This was such a cool, evil doctor story, man. You know, It made you feel for the girl who was a monster, but she was also a victim of the evil doctor. So was, you know, the giant mechanical beast. He was just a bloodthirsty, uh, machine-killing demon, pretty much, who forgot his old life, but she didn't, which was a nice touch. You know, yeah. yeah still humanized her and made you feel for her i'd say it was my favorite out of all of them you know going through these stories for uh, vhs 94 definitely let me know which uh one is your guys's favorite because this this movie was gnarly it has some of my favorite horror shorts in it but let's get back to it because we go back to the swat team a bloody arm is laying on the ground and a voice of gary or a swat member saying you said no one would get hurt. Oh, oh, how could, how could you? And then you see two female SWAT members come into focus, showing us that two of the SWAT team members are part of this cult that took over this building. They were the mole inside the SWAT team, slowly offing members one by one. 
Slater, the team leader, eventually is hypnotized by one of the TVs. And then we go into our final short film, Terror. It, it suits this short film really well, actually. So it does follow a group of Michigan militia. And it's mixed with a nice, scary vampire story. This one was good, but I really wanted more of this one. It was almost like they had trimmed it down to fit into this movie. Honestly, I feel like this one could have been a full-fledged vampire movie. I mean, they still could do that, which would be amazing. And I'm kind of sad that it isn't. I also have to say that the vampire creature in this film um, was dope. You can definitely see that it was inspired by, I believe, the Blade Two vampires. But a little more sinister and, and less CGI. We are introduced to uh, this militia, this Michigan militia group. It's a group of rednecks, neckbeards. You know, they love guns. We see them walk to a shack covered in garlic and crosses. Right away you're thinking, oh, this must be a vampire? Or this must be about a vampire? They walk in, and there's this guy in this cage. He's pleading, like, please, no, don't do this. They take a gun, and they shoot his brains out. And we learn very quickly these people want to mass cleanse the world from evil, using religion to push their agenda. They love guns. They love God, and they are being led by this really religious fanatic. It's a pretty cool mix, honestly. We jump forward, and they are driving around the city, and they're staking out some kind of building with a lot of cameras, talking about using the beast to get inside and uh, detonating the creature. Now, I wasn't sure what kind of building this was. I thought it was like a bank, and they were just like robbers or something. I wasn't sure what to make of this at first, but we are soon introduced as to what they're talking about. And we'll get to that part pretty soon. Uh, we are back at the compound. Alarms are going off. And it's time again to shoot the same guy that's in the cage. You can only assume that's a vampire. Um, I think this is a way that they sedate the vampire. You know, every day at a certain time. I believe during the day they walk into this cage and then they shoot him in the head. And then he dies. But not really dies. He regenerates. And then... He's back to his regular self. Then they come back and they shoot him again. And it's just a whole repeating process. So it's a way for uh, the vampire not to break free and kill everybody. They are visited by a dirty cop who's giving them guns for the war to come. Is what they what is what he says. Which is them breaking into the federal building and taking it down. So we find out that the building they were staking out earlier was a federal building. Because they're true Americans. And they got to cleanse the nation of the feds and all Bill Clinton's goons or some crap like that. Hoorah! The dirty cop and the militia, they are talking and the cop asks about, you know, if the weapon does work. And we get a look, well, we get a little look as uh, what their plan is. So they go in and they shoot the vampire in the head and they take some of his blood out and they inject it into a rabbit. They have this rabbit in the cage they're all sitting there waiting for something to happen as the sun starts to rise. And then all of a sudden the rabbit just explodes like 40 sticks of dynamite going off at once. So the plan is to release the vampire in front of the building. And when the sun goes up or comes up, uh, it'll blow a giant hole inside the federal building. They'll rush in and just start wasting everybody inside this building, taking back America. That's the plan. Um, because the government's evil, I believe. 
and religion does no harm. This is the plan, so, you know, they decide to get wasted. You know, drink some booze before they step onto the big American stage. You know, to show all the Americans, this is what we need to do. Like, good old drunks, a few guys decide to fuck with a vampire who is dead still, you know, bleeding from the head. They pick him up, they're playing with his dead body, they're laughing around. It's a really weird scene. Only militiamen would do this, I guess. When blood from the wound drips into one of the guy's mouths, I believe infecting him or getting it all over his body. We fast forward to the next day. The alarms again, they are blaring. They are going off. And we find one of the men are dead, throat cut. Now I can only assume maybe the uh, vampire creature did this or one of the the guy that got infected did this because I wasn't sure if he was infected or if he was a vampire. We just know that he has blood on him. And if he walks out into the sun, that's a bad idea. So they see this guy lying on the ground. He's just dead. The creature sounds coming from one of the facilities where they're keeping him. And a head rolls out. It's one of their friend's heads. Just like, hey. Vampire's like, here you go. Like a little basketball. I'm in here. Come in here. I'm going to mess you guys up. And then they're calling for their friend Steve, which was the guy who got vampire blood on him, who I thought was a vampire. And they're screaming to him, don't walk out into the daylight. You have vampire blood on you. Don't do it. And then he reaches the daylight and he explodes like a nuke. Um, hurting a couple people. So they decide to go inside and take down this monster, this vampire. This sequence is filmed pretty good. And it's pretty darn creepy as well. The vampire, I have to say, is very nightmarish. It's creepy as all hell. It's a really slow, you know, it's a really good slow tension builder. They're going through this uh, facility looking for the vampire. There's a really quick scene where the vampire shows up. But you can only make out its red eyes, I believe, and then it vanishes. And so the guy decides to go up and check the attic. He's like, I'm going to go up there and check the attic, see if he's up there. Really good idea. As he's climbing up the ladder, the vampire comes down and bites the dude's face off, peeling the skin away. He falls back, and blood is just gushing from his face. You do get a glimpse of the vampire, and it's a pretty good shot. And you do see that he is a freaky-looking mother. Oh my god, he is... So creepy. And they all start to get frantic. The vampire is hunting them down one by one. They climb up into the attic, and the vampire is too fast. It's biting their faces off. It's not a really well put together militia. I'm kind of curious as to how they caught this vampire in the first place. If, you know, they're dropping like flies like this. But you know what? They're not the smartest people anyways, so you don't really have any sympathy for them. You're kind of rooting for the vampire, to be honest. Which is fine. So the militiamen are upstairs. They're getting picked off one by one by the vampire. Getting their faces bit off. And eventually, the vampire uh, secludes the preacher man. Drags him into the vampire holding cell. Where the vampire, you're thinking that he's going to like mutilate him or something. Opens up the windows. Exposing the sun to him. And explodes himself. Killing him and the preacher militia guy. You know, a lot of the good stuff didn't happen till the end. Like I said before, felt more like a, a creature feature trimmed down to fit into this movie. I would have liked more, maybe like 10, 15 minutes more. More suspense, more vampire. Maybe how they captured the vampire. They don't really tell you. But it was still enjoyable. I, I enjoyed it. I like a good vampire short story or vampire movie. But now we are back with Slater. We're back with the SWAT members. 
and he is tied to a chair. And the two girls, they're kind of explaining what they're, what they are, explaining their videotapes or the villains. A far out fetish film cult, I believe, is what they say. So we know that they are a cult. And I'm kind of wondering if it's the same cult from VHS 2, if you guys remember. I have to watch that one again. They are pushing the boundaries of snuff films. In their words, they are the final girls. He is their final kill. So they take the camera and they smash it into the guy's head, killing him until there's nothing left. And then the movie ends. To me, this wraparound story, the whole SWAT team, is probably the weakest story in the movie. Um, I understand that they're a cult, but I'm not too sure about anything else, you know, what they were trying to do. Um, they are trying to make another snuff film with the SWAT people, I guess. I can't really think of anything else to say at that point. I was like, okay, I mean, it was all right. They could have done a better job, but it is what it is. I, I liked all of the short films that this VHS 94 had to offer. And I would say VHS 94 is easily as good as the first two installments, maybe even better. Uh, if you haven't watched this yet, uh, I don't know what you're doing, especially if you're a horror fan, give this one a watch. I guarantee you'll like one of these stories out of it. And that is VHS 94. Guys, I hopefully uh, you enjoyed this little podcast. Uh, check us out on Twitch. We're going to be doing our podcast live there every Friday, talking about horror movies, obscure horror movies, things like that. Um, support us on Coffee if you like. K-O-F-I. Metals Horror House. We got two tiers, $2 and $5. $5 gets you social media shout out, behind the scenes, Discord access, um, exclusive requests, and you get custom uh, gizmo art. Gizmo is our co-host on the stream by our lovely artist Molly. And I would like to give a shout out to our supporters right now. Nostalgic Nap and Wise Connie. Thank you guys so much for supporting me on coffee. And for everyone else listening to the podcast, Thank you guys so much, and I hope that you all have a wonderful and spooky night. And I'll see you in the next podcast on Metal's Horror House. Good night.